Seven Lamb Productions presents Atlas Avenue B Case 2 The Red Letter Part 1 A Broken Heart He's coming, too. Hello? Uh, Mr. Locke? Mr. James Locke. Where am I? You're in the hospital. You were shot. Oh, oh God. 26 years ago. What? I sat up. My face felt weird. I grabbed my chin and felt a huge bushy beard. Oh, my God! This is going to be hard for you to hear, but it is the year 2039. The Earth has been so polluted that no one can live on her. Everyone you love is absolutely 100% dead, and we are currently floating through space looking for a new habitable planet. No. No. No! (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's been like two days, man. That's a fake beard. Ah, you bastard! We always joke like that with people who survive comas. It's pretty messed up. The truth of the matter is, you were shot and we healed you because, like, my nurse and I are awesome. Thanks, I guess. Don't guess. Be sure about your thank yous. Anyway, we need you to take it easy. Here, lay back down. Don't want to move around too much. You're still healing. You're lucky to be alive. You were shot in the heart. I rubbed my chest, feeling the incision. We had to do a heart transplant. That's a new ticker you got in there. Really? Yeah, and get this, it's a baboon's heart. What? You gave me the heart of a monkey? We were out of human hearts, and you would have had to go on a list, and we didn't have time. We had to act fast. Don't worry. We asked your friends Paul Went, Edith Dietrich, and Arthur Phelps. Arthur Phelps is not a friend. Oh, that's too bad. He was the one who suggested the monkey heart. In fact, he suggested it before you even knew it was the only option. How crazy is that? Your other two friends just went along with it. Of course they did. I think your friend Paul was hoping you would do monkey-like things. Are you being serious? Don't worry. Monkeys have the same basic structure as humans. The same anatomy. The heart is going to function in the same way as a human heart, except... you probably won't be able to love in the same way. What does that mean? How do you feel about hairy women and tails? I'm not for them. Hey man, don't be sexist. Just be happy you're still here. Seriously. And be happy you had such an awesome doctor. Ahem. And nurse. I said thanks. Yeah, but you guessed at that shit. Are you sure about that thank you now? When can I get out of here? I'm going to hold you for another day, possibly two. Fine. Aren't you curious to see your friends? Are they here? I believe they're in the cafeteria. My monkey heart started thumping. I was surprised they were here, waiting for me after days had passed. When I moved to Kenneth Heights, I left a lot behind, including friends. I never really thought of myself as having friends here, but that's exactly what Paul and Edith were. Friends. Not Arthur, though. He's a douche. Okay. Send him in. A few minutes passed when Paul, Edith, and Arthur finally came in. Mr. J! Holy shit! Jimmy Jong! Of course you come to the moment we get something to eat at the cafeteria. We've been waiting here for fucking ever! So, he makes it. I have to say I'm surprised. Didn't think you had the balls to wake up. 
I wasn't scared, I was in a coma. If I had a nickel every time I heard that excuse... You'd have one nickel. Hey, you gotta start somewhere. Lorraine wanted to be here too, but she had to take care of the kids. Apparently they need care every day. That's okay, I understand. Hey, Jimmy John, if you're hungry, I brought you something from the cafeteria. Paul pulled a banana from his coat pocket. Huh? You want a banana? Huh? Who thought it would be a great idea to put a monkey heart in me? Sorry, Mr. J. They didn't have any human hearts on hand. Well, and you were dying. We had to make a decision fast. I know this was your doing, Arthur. Oh, sorry. I stepped up and made a big boy decision. At least we didn't go with Paul's idea and fill you with candy. What? Pinatas make people happy. And I'm running out of room to store candy in my house. Then stop buying so much candy. It's okay, Mr. J. The doc said they do it all the fucking time. The only side effect is you may find hairy women more attractive. Actually, that's not a side effect. That's exactly what's going to happen now. Great. Don't worry. You're still able to like regular shave girls, too. What? So... Jimmy Jong, you want it? Huh? You want it, Jimmy Jong? You want it, banana? <sighs> Give me the banana. Ah! Don't fling poo at me! Sure you're okay, Mr. J? Edith had walked me to my apartment. The place was dark, save for the dim outside light seeping in through the cracks in the blinds. I'm fine, Edith. Thank you. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow at the office. No, Mr. J. The doctor said you had to rest. I'll take it easy. But I would like to head into the office. Need to get caught back up. Truthfully, I wanted to finish up this O'Reilly case. All the loose ends may have been tied up, but Desmond Grant was still out there. I tried talking to Paul and Arthur about it at the hospital, but they refused to discuss the matter. The only bit of information I could extract was that Grant was still on the loose and that KHPD had the best people looking for him. Okay, Mr. J, but I'm gonna keep my eye on you. You better take it fucking easy. No need to go back into that goddamn hospital. Thank you, Edith. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good day, Mr. J. Wait, Edith, has Angela left any messages? Edith? She didn't leave no goddamn messages, but she did leave a letter. A letter? Your mail's on the counter, Mr. J. What's wrong, Edith? Nothing. Did you read it? Did you read the letter? Maybe. Edith, I'm not mad, did you? It wasn't even in a fucking envelope, Mr. J. It just fell open. Did you read it? Yes. And? And you should read it for yourself. Bye, Mr. J. Edith instantly started acting weird when I mentioned Angela's name. And not the normal I hate that woman kind of weird. The way she acted made me hesitate looking at the letter. After a few minutes, I walked slowly to the kitchen counter. I saw a stack of mail, an unfolded piece of paper on the top. I grabbed it and started reading. Dearest Jim, I'm not sure what happened to you last night. I tried calling several times. I'm sure you were busy. I know that I should have been reading the letter in Angela's voice, but I decided to go with a quirky British guy to make the letter easier to take in. 
I know I told you about my birthday dinner late, so I don't blame you, but I really wish you could have made it. I wanted to see you one last time. One last time? I'm sorry if I led you on. I never meant for that. I know we had that one crazy night and I wouldn't change it, but I think our feelings should be kept in the past. You know what they say, if it didn't work out once, it wasn't meant to be. Thank you for everything. Finding out my husband was gay was hard to handle, because like you, I loved him. Wait, that came out wrong. I don't mean to say you loved my husband, but that I loved you and I loved my husband. Not at the same time. I loved you in the past and I loved my husband. Oh, forget it. Anyway, it's time for me to move on now. I think moving out of Kenneth Heights is the best option. Don't worry, I'll keep in touch. Thanks again for everything. Love you, Angie. Postscript. I will always remember our airport nights in Cali, shooting you with my finger guns and smashing chocolates. Boy, this letter hurt. More so than the bullet to the heart. I'd not only let Desmond Grant escape, Angela was also gone from my life. I dropped the letter and headed to the liquor cabinet. Dames. I needed a drink. The doctor said lay off the alcohol for a while, but he also gave me a monkey heart, so screw that guy. Scotch. Straight. Large glass. I made my way to the couch and eased myself down. Any sudden movements hurt my chest. I laid back and thought long and hard about the O'Reilly case. The man I was trying to free was the man behind it all along. Of course Peter O'Reilly was there to help. That drunk bastard. The KHPD would handle everything from here on out. Terence was dead so there was no need to talk to that family again. Except Natalie. I decided to leave that alone for a while. She needed time to mourn and I needed time to get over Angela. at the office around 8. Edith was already in and typing away. Good morning, Mr. J. How the hell are you? I'm good, Edith. Really? Yeah, I am. That's good. Forget about that bitch. Edith. What? Never mind. I just think you can do better than that hoe. She seemed like a horrible person anyway. She wasn't. Well, it's like my mom used to say. Fuck that bitch. Thanks, Edith. All of your messages are on your desk. Also, your chubby fat friend is coming over. Paul? Yeah, the tubby shit. Okay. I look through the messages. More missing children, more cheating husbands. My chest throbbed. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a pillbox. I popped a volume and leaned back. I continued flipping through the messages. I thought the O'Reilly case would change things, yet here I was, flipping through the same messages. Then I reached to the bottom of the pile. A paper read, Julianne Good. Letter from dead fiancé? Edith, this message, uh, Julianne Good. Letter from dead fiancé? What does that mean? I don't think it could be any clearer. 
Julianne Good and her boyfriend, Brennan Camp, got engaged in 2015. They were to be married in 2017, but Brennan Camp ended up in a car accident and died. But then last week, this woman, Julianne Good, gets a letter from her fiancé in the mail. At first she thinks it's a hoax, but the writing looks like his. She takes it to the police, but they can't help her, so she decides to ask you to investigate. Simple. And how was I supposed to know all that from one sentence on a slip of paper? I wrote in cursive. What? Right. Never mind. I should have deciphered the message better. I know. It's okay. I forgive you. I couldn't get mad at Edith. Not anymore. She saved my life more than once. And she knew I couldn't get mad at her. That's why her axe was now in plain sight on a mantle next to her desk. I owed her a lot. Wait, when did she get a mantle? I decided to call this Julianne. I was intrigued by her story. This would be something new. Like a new season of a somewhat popular noir series. Not to be confused with another one with a similar story that starts with the letter D. I sat down and made the call. Hello? Is this Julianne Good? This is. This is Private Investigator James Locke. Oh wow, you got my message. Your secretary told me you're in the hospital. I was, and now I'm out. She told me your story, and I have to say, I haven't heard anything like it. It's interesting. Can you help? I'd like to. First things first. I know. Money. I have money. Right. I actually meant I'd like to talk to you in person, get more details about the case. Then we can discuss money. Of course. When? Julianne wasn't able to meet up until tomorrow, which was fine. I ended up laying on my couch and resting. The volume was kicking in. I closed my eyes. I didn't sleep, but I thought about that night. I thought about the night I was shot. The yacht party, the speedboat chase, the fight with Grant. So much happened that night. I couldn't believe Grant got away. There he is, back to work. I opened my eyes and craned my neck. Arthur and Paul stood in the doorway. Oh, God, why is Arthur here? Just a couple of friends checking to make sure you're okay. He's not my friend. Fuck you, Jimbo. I'm your fucking friend now. No, you're not. I don't like you, and you don't like me. Ha! <laughs> friends teasing friends. We're not friends. Sure we all are. I'm like Joey because I'm fucking sexy. Jimmy Jong, you're Chandler because you're funny. Could you be any more funny? And Arthur is like Kramer because he never knocks. I knock. Kramer isn't even a friend. Now stop saying things like that. Can't we all get along? More memories began to pop up in my mind, including one huge reveal that made this whole interaction somewhat awkward. Arthur and Paul's wife Lorraine were sleeping together. Paul had his suspicions that Lorraine was cheating on him, and for some reason he always thought I was the culprit. Nope, it was Arthur. I saw it with my own two eyes. I rose from the couch. <sighs> what brings you guys here? We forgot to grab the last box of O'Reilly files. There they are. Also, we're here to inform you that the captain wants to talk to you. Hiltz? No, Captain Crunch. Of course it's Hiltz. That's funny, Arthur. Good tease. Now you go, Jimmy Jones. Uh, be like Chandler. Say something sarcastic. Paul, we're not friends. 
Yes, we are. And friends tease each other. Say, say some shit to me. I hate you. Nice one. High five. No, go away. Give me a high five or I'm staying forever. Jesus Christ, here. I love these times. Let me go throw this box in the car and we'll catch up a bit. BRB. Wait, don't leave us together. <sighs> so, what does Captain Hiltz want with me? It's about the O'Reilly case. I figured that much. Well, that's all I know. We stood in awkward silence. Should I bring up the Lorraine thing now? No, not here. Not now. How's the monkey hard? You have a lot of upper body strength now? Yeah, screw it. I saw you, Arthur. When did you see me? Right now? Did you see me right now? You don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? No. Should I? You're the one sleeping with Lorraine. I would never cheat on Daphne. Cut the crap. Give me a knife and some prune juice and I will. Not literally, you idiot. Hey, don't call me an idiot. Chandler would never say that. I'm not Chandler. That's right, because Chandler is actually funny. Paul kept blaming me, but it was you the whole time. I can't believe it. You can't... you can't tell Paul. Why? Because friends don't tattle on friends. I learned that shit in kindergarten. So that's why you want to be friends with me? You're such an asshole. Don't betray me. You'll ruin our newfound friendship. Betray you? Ruin our friendship? Stop stressing certain words and keep your goddamn voice down. You're sleeping with your friend's wife. That's different. How? Come on, Jimbo. Just lay off. Paul came back up the stairs. I'm giving you one week. You have one week to tell Paul. Or what? You'll kill me? Are you gonna kill me? No, or I'll tell him. Oh. Okay. Deal. High five. No, stop it. I'll stay forever, damn it. Jesus Christ, here. Now that's what I like to see. Forced high fives. We are so friends. Listen, Jimmy Jong, I wanted to shoot the shit with you. I brought a gun and some prune juice. Come on. But sadly, there's no time now. We just got a call. Triple homicide. Captain wants us to take it, so we gotta go. We'll get together later this week. Good. I have some questions about the O'Reilly case. Maybe you should save that for the captain. The captain. When I worked for the KHPD, Captain Hiltz was the hardest, gruffest, meanest person I ever knew. He didn't want to get on his bad side. When I was let go, I was upset. I missed the people and the cases. But I did not miss Captain Hiltz. I decided to head to the precinct. Better now than never. I grabbed my jacket and head out. I went inside. I waved to the front desk. Tina Hughes was still working here. She waved me past. I maneuvered past desks and people until I reached the captain's office. Most of the faces I still recognized. Everyone was busy, on the phone, sorting papers, looking through documents, writing down important info. Being a PI was great, but from time to time I missed this hectic life. I knocked on the door and the door glided open. There he sat, the biggest and meanest person ever. He was on the phone, but when he saw me, he smiled and dropped the phone onto the receiver. He stood up. Captain Hiltz was a muscular dude. He stood six feet tall and there wasn't an ounce of fat on him. He took the cigar from his mouth. This guy was bad news. I didn't work for him anymore, but he still made me uneasy. Well, well, well. Look what the little kitty cat dragged in. Hiltz? Locke. I was told you wanted to talk to me. I'm assuming it's about the O'Reilly case? You know what they say about assuming? Well, it is, isn't it? Are you calling me an ass? What? No. 
Good. Have a seat. I sat in one of his plush chairs. This is about the O'Reilly case, and this is about your involvement in it. I was going to have Went and Phelps bring you in, but I decided to let you come in on your own free will. See what a nice guy I am? Bring me in. That's right. Because Mr. James Locke, P.I., you are under arrest. Atlas Avenue Beat, written by Robert M. Lamb, edited by Dylan Whitehead, starring Jack Austin as Locke, Amy LeRae as Edith, Jose Caraballo as Paul, Brian Messick as Arthur, Gina Coyle as Julianne, Lucas Webley as Sheldrake and Dr. Doctor, and Stacey Patrone as Jane. Co-starring Robert M. Lamb, Alexander Dottie, Gareth Thomas, Hope Annis, Dylan Whitehead, Shannon McCarthy, Ricky Lehner, Shannon Lee, Seth York, Amber Simpson, Chris Davis, Ashley Cartesano, and Curtis Edwards. Music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. Also, check out www.7lamb.com for other podcasts such as this one. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 7lambpodcasts and on Twitter and Instagram at 7lambpodcasts. This has been a Seven Lamb production.